Welcome to Coffee's On. My name is Richard. And I'm Wesley. And we've been talking a lot about coffee flavors on this podcast, but we haven't really gotten into it. There is a whole process to finding flavors in coffee beans. After all, they do come from a fruit. But how does one find those flavors? Is it dependent upon the roast, the origin, the elevation in which it was grown? And how do we pick out all those flavors when we're tasting coffee? Well, today that's what we're going to find out, but first we have to taste some coffee. Today's coffee is from another Chicago roaster, Bridgeport Coffee. Bridgeport Coffee started in 2004 and was one of Chicago's first Southside roasters. It is now one of Chicago's up-and-comer favorites. They are a driving force of direct-from-growers-to-consumers roaster with no middleman. So kind of a farm-to-table kind of a thing. Sure. From them, we are trying the El Salvador San Carlos. It comes from a farm 5,000 feet above sea level on the side of a volcano. And though they lost their crop to the 2005 eruption the farm remained intact. This coffee is a medium body Arabica bourbon originally from Kenya. So, Wesley, what are you tasting? Well, the first thing I get a really big hit of is raspberry. I th- I said raspberry. I think you had said orange, like an orange marmalade kind mm-hmm. of taste, like something that's citrusy but can be both kind of sour and sweet at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I think the sweetness was kind of like almost like a jelly sweetness. There's a bit of a thickness to it. Sure, yeah. It is very well bodied. I will say that. Mm-hmm. It is a really nice coffee. I really liked it. I still got a little bit of chocolate in there. Um, I think I always get that in coffee anyway, just because I love chocolate. But yeah, I don't know. I had a hard time kind of placing the flavors on this one, I'm going to be honest. it mm-hmm. I don't know. It had a brightness to it. It was a very good kind of like i think this would be a really good morning cup of coffee but i couldn't quite figure out what i was tasting i didn't want to say it was one dimensional but at the same time i just had a hard time kind of figuring it all out it was fruity to yeah, me yeah just like putting specifics on what yeah. you're tasting yeah i would agree with that i mean i think you're right this is a very good morning blend this is a really good breakfast I mean, it's not a blend, but it's a very good breakfast coffee. Um, I had my first flavor actually was like toast, like a sweet, like white bread toast. Okay, I can see that. So you kind of have that like bright, crisp, grainy, flowery sweetness. Almost like buttery sweetness. Yeah, a little bit buttery. Um, And then I had that sweet citrus, that kind of marmalade, um, jelly type sweetness. Uh, I also had like a kind of a sweet cream, too. Okay. And I don't know, like, I, maybe that was just the body of it, because I didn't put any any kind of dairy in this. Neither and it just I. had a nice kind of thick, rich creaminess to yeah. it without being, like, you know, hard to drink. Yeah, it wasn't, like, oily or thick Not at all. in that way. It was, But it had a great mouthfeel. It wasn't super drying. But it's also very just well-balanced, I mm-hmm. think, in how it sits on the palate. Yeah. I think the only other fruit I got was kind of like an apple crisp, like that I kind of like apple, apple sweetness. Yeah. And I that kind of that. that kind of rolled in with like the toast, like the kind of weedy, like bright toast flavor, I guess, Maybe too. Maybe like pastry, like butter yeah. pastry. Yeah, almost. So anyway, yeah, I think we're mentioning a lot of breakfast flavorings in this one. So I think it would be a very, very good breakfast coffee definitely i agree and we'll talk a little bit more about because you mentioned chocolate Mm -hmm. a bit and we'll talk a little bit more about why you're tasting some of the chocolate in this particular blend okay later in this episode based on 
geography. That's one of the important factors. Surprise. Spoilers, right? So with that, uh, again, this was the El Salvador San Carlos. Uh, Carlos is the name of the farmer. Uh, his whole name is Carlos Raul Riera Menendez. And uh, yeah, the origin is the Canton Potrero Grande Arriba in El Salvador. So that's cool. like the actual name of the region or probably the farm, yeah. something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and again, that is the El Salvador single origin roast from Bridgeport Coffee. Really good. Here in Chicago. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support. For as low as $2 per month, you can get access a day early to every new episode of We're Getting a Dog and other Arcadia Podcast Network shows, such as Coffee's On and Good Food for Bad Friends. And at higher levels, you can get one-of-a-kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. I'm going to start us off in this episode and talk about the development of the coffee flavor wheel. Now, when we talk about all the different flavors that we are tasting when we try coffees at the beginning of every episode, we are referencing the flavor wheel. It's inside the book that we first got when we started off with this project. You can find it online. If you literally Google coffee flavor wheel, it's the first thing that comes up. You can get it on like posters and stuff, too. Mm hmm. And it was first developed as recently, actually, as 1995 by the Specialty Coffee Association of America, which, as we know from our Starbucks episode, was founded by one of the creators of Starbucks. And it included two different sub wheels, one for taste and one for aroma, each containing traits that indicated signs of both defective coffee and well-produced coffee. However, by 2010, it was decided that the coffee flavor wheel should be revised. The new coffee flavor wheel was developed by the World Coffee Research Organization in association with the SCAA, and the primary research was conducted at the Sensory Analysis Center at Kansas State University. Over the course of a year, those involved in the study tried 100 different coffees to build a corresponding lexicon of flavors. These flavors were compared to ingredients that one might find in their everyday pantry, and the reference is freely available for personal use on the Coffee Research Organization's website. A couple of years later, this primary research done at the Kansas State University was passed along to the Food Science and Technology Department at the University of California, Davis. There, a team of 72 prestigious researchers disseminated the information into the flavor wheel that we see today. The new flavor wheel was widely debuted in a 2016 cover article in the Journal of Food Science. Can I ask, when they showed, 
or debuted this flavor wheel in the Journal of Food Science, was that just about coffee or was it just a flavor wheel in general? It was just about coffee. Just about coffee. Yeah. Okay. So the whole study was done so that way there wasn't really a way to count coffee as defective so quickly. Like there could be layers to it. Okay. Plus, when we talk about cupping later, like coffee cupping, there's a whole reason why we use the flavor wheel that we do and why there's certain roasts that are recommended for the flavor wheels mm -hmm. use and things like that. So okay. it is, it's kind of like the catch all map of all the different flavors that, be, that can be contained mm -hmm. in coffee. And it's kind of genius how they did it. They can, they looked for things that you would find in your pantry. So like you talked earlier about how the coffee we tried had like a jam flavor, Blackberry jam is actually one of the ingredients they use as a reference point for how coffee might taste. Yeah. I've always thought it was interesting that when you like look at a bag of coffee and they say blackberry jam instead of blackberry, I'm like, why blackberry jam? It's why just, jam? it's the ingredient that was used. It was the ingredient that was used. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that explains where we get our flavors from. Well, where we get the flavors that we use to describe the coffee at the top of every episode. Yeah. But where do, you, do these flavors actually come from? Like, how do they actually develop in the bean, right? Is it the coffee cherry? Is it the bean itself? The drying process? The roasting process? What? Well, essentially all of them. But primarily, two things contribute to the flavors you find in your coffee, and that is the origin and how it's roasted. The origin of the bean, or where it's grown, you'll hear us reference to single origin, this is exactly what we mean, means it's from one single farm, same farm, single origin, right? So where it's grown will greatly affect the subtle nuances that create different flavors in a coffee bean. There are just so many factors that contribute to this, like how much sun and water the plant receives, the nutrients in the soil, how the tree was pollinated, the elevation or oxygen levels of the air, as well as the soil, when the beans were picked, and of course their species, Robusta or Arabica. We do know some of the flavor profiles behind Robusta and Arabica. Robusta, lending itself to its namesake, is overall a heartier and more robust flavor palette. Most Robustas, which grow better at a lower, more humid altitudes, typically have more earthy flavors. Things like oatmeal, wheat, fresh wood, hops, and black tea. Robusta also tends to have more flavors based in herbs and spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, curry, and black pepper. Now, this isn't the rule per se, but it does mean that most Arabica beans are going to have a fuller body with a more grounded flavor palette, right? This we know from our own tastings as well as just yeah. research right yeah definitely R robusta always has a almost like a i don't want to say chemical taste to it because i don't want it to sound that way but on my palate it's a very like dark carbon mm -hmm. flavor mm -hmm. as opposed to arabica which can go up into the floral notes where it's very subtle so robustas really don't have the subtleties mm -hmm. to it yeah and the last big thing about robusta is that most people tend to roast robusta towards a medium dark range right which really helps to caramelize those flavors and create a rich and bitter dark sweetness right so we really associate robusta with a lot of kind of those darker flavors those heavier flavors um, because they typically are roasted 
towards a medium dark roast even the ones yeah. that we've tried on this episode have typically been in the medium dark you uh, usually don't find a medium light what was the vietnamese one we tried that was a dark roast wasn't it it was a medium dark yeah it, i mean for a medium woo, that was i mean that was pretty thick <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. for a medium dark i can't imagine what dark would be you yeah know, that and be... it also depends on you know where you're getting it from uh like that vietnamese most vietnamese coffees are roasted on the dark side and they mostly are robusta mm-hmm. too, um, and that comes from their French origins, which we'll probably cover when we do an episode about Vietnam because they sure. were uh, colonized by the French. We know from previous episodes that the French liked their coffee roasted dark, which is why it's called right. a French roast because it's a darker roast. So that kind of translated into how to how the Vietnamese uh, roasted their coffees. But we'll cover that at another time. The other type of bean is the Arabica, and that one can be all over the place in terms of flavors. Arabica has far more varietals and subspecies that can really change the end flavor of the bean. That and Arabica is a more temperamental plant and adapts more dramatically based on where it's being grown. That being said, there are some commonly agreed upon similarities that Arabica beans possessed. First and foremost is that there will almost always be a fruit or floral tone to the bean. This is, like, somehow always the same with everyone. They will have some kind of fruit or floral note. And the second is that they tend to be more sweet. And I think that's because of those those fruitier floral notes. They just have a little bit more of a light sweetness. Yeah. As opposed to that darker sweetness, bitter sure. sweetness that you find in Robusta. Mm-hmm. Um, and these flavors go hand in hand and oftentimes make a coffee have a a better and brighter cup taste with a lighter body overall. And as I mentioned before, Arabica can be pretty temperamental. So Arabica beans from Ethiopia might have a light floral body, often with a jasmine flavor and blueberry, but Arabica beans from Uganda, which is essentially next door, are more ripe with stone fruit flavors with a touch of red berry or dark jam flavors. There's the dark jam description. Then, on the other side of the globe, in Guatemala, Arabica beans have a bittersweet cocoa flavor and layers of nuts and toffee like chocolate candy bar. So, it's very different, but coffee from Guatemala is grown at lower elevations in higher humidity with volcanic soil. Like this uh, El Salvadoran coffee, literally grown on the side of a volcano. Right. Right? That Um, erupted recently. That erupted within the last two decades, right? And in Ethiopia and Uganda, coffee beans are grown at a higher elevation. And though the soil is still very fertile, the air is more arid and temperate, right? So it's not as humid, not as tropical. Uh, It's... I mean, it's still within the tropics, but it's uh, the higher el- elevation just gives way to thinner air. So yeah. you have a more temperate-like atmosphere to the mountains. Now, Richard and I could go into soil samples, nitrogen contents, mineral additives, and so on per kind of coffee bean. But we don't have time for that. But I do want to quickly mention some important chemicals that make up the flavor of the coffee bean itself. There are two categories of chemicals that give coffee its various flavors and textures. Those are non-volatile and volatile. That doesn't mean that your coffee bean is going to like explode in your coffee maker. That's not that kind of volatile. It just means that... They are in water-soluble things, and when they react with being let out of their water-soluble thing, they're aromatics. That's what makes them volatile. So, Mm -hmm. at least that was my understanding. I am not a chemist. My brother is. I should have asked him. (laughs) But you play one on TV. (laughs) So, here are just a few of each. 
For non-volatile, there's alkaloids, so caffeine, that is the main alkaloid in coffee. There's chlorogenic acids, which contributes to bitterness. Carboxylic acids, which contribute to sourness and acidity. Carbohydrates and polysaccharides, which contribute to viscosity and aroma. Next are lipids, which are organic and water-soluble compounds that let out oils and volatile aromatics. The lipids in coffee beans also create the crema, which I thought was pretty interesting. The next one is proteins, and then melanoidins, which is what turns the coffee bean brown when it's roasting, so that's its coloring, essentially. And then last is just any array of minerals that might be in the soil, given maybe it's in a volcanic ash soil, maybe it's in a on a mountainside, maybe it's in... Central America, where it's a little bit lower, but it's more humid. Like, there could be an array of different, like, minerals that just are contained in whatever soil it's growing in. Mm -hmm. The next are volatile things. So hydrocarbons, which contribute to the aromatics. The next are aldehydes and ketones, which provide the floral and fruity notes. Pyrazines, which can give the nutty flavors. Furons and furanones, which can give the caramel and roasted sugar notes, which I thought was pretty interesting. But, you know, those are just a few of the different things that were within the coffee bean that can give it its own flavor. Those will vary, again, by what region it's grown in, what kind of soil it's in, what kind of processing it goes through mm-hmm. before what it's roasted. What it is. Yeah, what you know, species, all the varietals. But kind of those are just a few things for people who kind of wonder, like, what do you mean a coffee bean has flavor? Because we're not talking about, like, we're not talking about flavored coffee beans, which have a chemical additive flavor. This mm-hmm. is just what in the soil gives the particular subtle nuance flavors that are in a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's very similar to tasting wine right like there's a lot of different flavor profiles that you get from wine tasting and a lot of that comes from not just you know the type of fermentation process and the aging process and all that kind of stuff or what type of wine it is it comes from the grapes itself where the grapes were grown all that kind of stuff so it really is a full full house experience um, when it comes to coffee. But I think the safest thing to say is that if you find a single origin that has a flavor palette you like, try sticking to that region for your other coffees or find regions that are horticulturally similar. So if you like Ethiopian coffee, try coffee from Uganda or Burundi. If you like Guatemalan coffee, coffee from other Central American countries, Nicaragua, El Salvador, like this one we had today, or Costa Rica are bound to have similar notes and profiles the next biggest indicator of cup flavor is the roast now roasting as a whole doesn't create a specific flavor right not all dark roasts taste the same but it enhances deepens and overall caramelizes the flavors that the beans already have we talked about it before in the episode on roasting that the process of browning the beans is essentially dry caramelizing them like you would onions or you know sugar so if you have fruit notes in your origin beans then roasting the beans will darken 
those notes. What might have started as strawberries might turn into dark cherries or blueberries into a blueberry jam type flavor, right? It's going to deepen it. It's going to darken it. It's going to bring out some of the natural sugars that are in that and make it a little bit sweeter. Citrus and honey might turn to molasses and light grainy tastes like wheat and flour will turn to oats. So, right, everything is going to go a little bit deeper as you darken it. Uh, that being said, the more you roast the beans and the darker they get, the more processed those flavors will be, and eventually they'll lead towards that burnt flavor. And I don't mean burnt in a bad way. I mean, like, that flavorful kind of it's, burnt. Yeah, it's like, you know, roasting in and of itself is a way to caramelize anything. All it does, you're roasting the sugar that's within whatever you're cooking mm-hmm. or the ingredients, and it, and, you know, it creates that kind of, like... You know, like, okay, this is a terrible metaphor, but you know, like when you bake chicken and there's that kind of like burnt crispy part that has a very like chickeny flavor to it. It's not burnt. Mm-hmm. It's just, it has a flavor. Yeah. That's essentially the same thing you're doing to the bean. Yes. You're just yeah. bringing out a, a much more darker, almost carbony flavor to yeah it. exactly and this is why a lot of people feel that dark roast tastes similar is because they've all kind of gotten to that same point where it all just kind of starts to melt together sure uh flavor wise um but most of us have also probably just had blended dark roasts not single origin dark roasts, which will have better traces of the original flavors so one example of this is the ethiopian yergesheffe roast that we had many episodes back i think it was the episode where we covered uh africa in the bean belt um and it was a dark roast single origin from a local coffee shop called aroma which is named after the aroma region or aromia Uh, in Ethiopia, and it had a wonderful balance of the expected dark roast flavors as well as hints of its original flavors with light floral notes and some darker berries. So it was single origin, but it was a single origin dark roast. So it had some of those nice caramel-like flavors, but it still had like hints of its original uh, flavor profile, which I thought was really wonderful. It's why it's one of my favorite dark roasts I think I've ever tried in a city. Um, But something to keep in mind for roasts, especially with single origins, is that you will always make the most of their flavors with a light to medium roast too far past medium and they start to over caramelize and it gets harder to distinguish individual flavors this is why a majority of the roasts we try on this show are a medium roast right so we've been talking a lot about flavor on this episode and You might be asking, how do you get the flavor out of coffee? How do you try to see what the different flavors are? There is actually a method that has been devised since the 19th century called coffee cupping. And it's a practice of trying a lot of coffee side by side, sometimes with its green, like green coffee bean to get the different nuances of all the flavors. So you can estimate if this would, if it would be a good cup of coffee to buy, you know, to buy basically coffee cupping is how one identifies the different flavor components of a specific kind of coffee. It is often used as a means of ensuring the quality of coffee beans. Cupping has become an industry wide practice with lots of different uses like creating coffee blends. According to the world coffee research organization, cupping is a method not used just by connoisseurs, but also by roasters, traders, and farmers alike that produces qualitative results when tasting and comparing coffees. 
It was originally devised during the late 19th century during the first wave of coffee in America by industry titan Hills Brothers Coffee. They created the practice mainly to assure the quality of their product. Nowadays, coffee cupping is used by all facets of the coffee industry. The third wave adapts coffee cupping as an enthusiast's way of sampling coffees and comparing their notes and differences in a number of different fields. Cupping is now also used as a way to determine the proper brewing method for a specific type of coffee. So, there's a few things that you're going to need if you want to do a coffee cupping session at home. And you can do one at home. It's not hard. You might have to forego the green coffee beans because that may be hard to find. But if you can get freshly roasted coffee, it has to be like less than two weeks old, freshly roasted mm -hmm. to do a proper one. Then you, it's not very hard to do it. You will need a kitchen scale. You'll need a coffee grinder set to a medium coarse grind, like a French press style grind. You'll need filtered water. A kettle, more than one, preferably. It's said to have a couple on standby if you're having more than one kind of coffee. Cups or bowls, they should all be made of the same material because it keeps the heat retention the same. So don't mix like Pyrex with ceramic with a mug with, you know, stoneware because all those are all going to keep heat different and it's going to change how everything tastes. You'll need spoons, preferably silver coffee spoons. A coffee spoon is much like a soup spoon. It's round, but it's a little bit deeper. So it can hold a little, a little bit more liquid than a soup spoon can. You'll need some timers. So everyone bring their phone. Uh, some spittoons, which I was kind of interested to see on that list. <laughs> and you'll need note-taking equipment with the correct forms. And the Specialty Coffee Association has a coffee cupping form available online for free to download. And it's basically just a big, you know, chart graph with scores of what does the coffee taste like, its texture, its flavor notes. It's, you know, essentially it's, it's rubric scoring system of how to do it. Uh, the other thing is you can do up to like six different coffees when you do a cupping. You will need a lot of space to do that many coffees, but you can do as few as two. So it is kind of an interesting process to go through, but I imagine if you're going to do it, you're probably going to be trying more than two. So uh, the process is a little long, but once you find it, the rhythm of it, I feel like there is kind of a, a rhythmic process to it. It should be pretty interesting. So step one... <clears throat> in the various cups, dole out two tablespoons of the coffee grounds. If following the bleh, if following the Specialty Coffee Association's protocols, the coffee should be freshly and light roasted for a cupping. So you don't want to try medium or dark roast for cupping, preferably. Light roast means that most of the flavor things are still like most of the flavor parts of the bean are still there. Mm -hmm. So you'll get most of the subtle flavors out of it. In some cuppings, you will also have the unroasted green coffee beans of the same type present to compare the slight nuances and flavors between the two. Medium roasts are not recommended and dark roasts should never be tried in this manner as they've lost much of their subtlety and flavor in the roasting process. It's also best to use beans that were roasted, like I said, no more than two weeks prior to the cupping. While the water comes to a boil, smell the grounds and note your observations. The smell prior to water being added is known as the coffee's fragrance. Be sure to warm up the spoons with hot tap water as well. Now, you'll add the water just as it comes down from boiling straight onto the grounds. 
The term for what you smell as the water first hits the coffee and those different flavors begin to come out is the coffee's aroma. Continue on to adding the hot water to the different cups. Be sure to time them for two to four minutes each. One website said one to two, another said three to five. So I am just averaging those out for us. After two to four minutes, the less dense coffee grounds will float to the top and create what's called the crust. Using your coffee spoon, which again looks like a soup spoon, but it's a little bit deeper, you do what is known as breaking the crust of the coffee and scooping out the floating coffee grounds as well as the foam and you discard it into the spittoon. Light roasted beans should have a higher density because they still contain a lot of oil with, within them rather than on the outside of them, so they should mostly all sink to the bottom of the cup. To ensure that they've all sunk, use your coffee spoon to push the grounds into the bottom of the cup. Now, you're going you're gonna to kind of do this in a row each time. So you'll pour the coffee, or you'll pour the water, time those out. When one ends, you'll start to, like, break the crust, get all the push the coffee down, go to the next, go to the next. Because you actually want to wait until the coffees have cooled down a little bit before you start trying the flavors. Because mm -hmm. you don't want to scald your tongue because yeah. you can't taste it. So. Yeah. Once all the coffees have cooled down a little bit, which should time nicely for when all the crusts have been broken and discarded, take some of the coffee onto the spoon and slurp it in so that it spreads all over the tongue and palate. One article instructs to inhale strongly to get the coffee droplets into your nasal cavity so that the taste can be further absorbed by the smell and taste sense. Throughout this process, note the differences in taste. Continue the process, moving along cup by cup. If you're trying more than just a couple of different cups of coffee, it's recommended to spit out the coffee into the spittoons for fear of having too much caffeine in one sitting. So that is the process of coffee cupping. I'm sure there are, you know, coffee shops that offer this to guests, you know, customers. Who, like a sampling. Yeah. Or maybe educational like, sampling Yeah, exercise. for sure. But it seems like something that would be really interesting to do just to try coffees really just straight up for what they are because mm -hmm. you're you know you're just pouring the water onto the ground so there's no filtering there's no yeah you know any of that i think it'd be a really cool process yeah. to do i feel like more likely a roasting house would offer that sure just because they have sense. they have to do it anyway yeah. so they might offer it to like tour groups kind of a thing i bet we could probably find that here in chicago but yeah that would <laughs> that would be, be cool. fun to do that would also be fun for you listeners to try wherever you are if you really wanted like an intense experience with coffee flavors is find a local roastery and you know if they offer it great if they don't ask to see if they can do that for you if you can be a part of it you know um because that might be a really interesting experience a really fun experience mm -hmm. wonderful Cool. Yeah, that's that's an intense thing. I know we've mentioned cupping um, on this podcast before. I know, Wesley, you've mentioned that you want to do it somehow. Yeah, somewhere. for sure. Um, I'd love to do it, too, because I think that would be a very just like it would be like going to a wine tasting, but I'd actually know something about it instead of just like making it up on the fly. See, yeah, and I'm not a big wine guy, so I don't know. I feel like with coffee it would be interesting because I would want to try different beans from different regions to see like what their nuances are based on like what we talked about this episode, the differences in the soil, the differences in the climate, you know, mm -hmm. all the different terroir that, which is the word for that, yeah. that, uh, you know, is around these different beans that are growing all over the world. So, mm -hmm. 
I don't know. Wines are cool too, but <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting to try all the different coffees and just you know, it really expands it more than just having a cup of coffee every morning. There's such a there, this puts it into such a wide perspective of just the subtleties that grow that go into yeah. growing coffee beans. Yeah, and I know even myself since starting this podcast i've started doing on my you know off days in the afternoon if i'm not going anywhere if i'm not out at a coffee shop i'll make a pour over at home and i'll buy like a specialty coffee you know specialty single origin coffee so yeah. i can make it at home because i'm i'm now like interested in finding these flavors like i want to see if i can find what they're matching on the bag you know um, which is always a lot of fun. And part of the us tasting the coffee at the top of every episode is us trying to see how close we can get to the flavors that they say are on the coffee bag. I know that was kind of originally the idea is that, you know, I, I would know when Wesley wouldn't and he, we would see how close we could get. <laughs> and uh, today we got, you know, eh, close-ish. I mean, all it really said was big body, creamy, and caramel. I don't think either either one of us said caramel. No, it has, creamy. I mentioned creamy. It has a sweetness to it, but I wouldn't say it's a sugary sweetness. Like you know, because that's what mm-hmm. caramel is—is yeah. is sugary sweetness. But I, I didn't get that. Yeah, but but we both got a little bit of the creamy and the body. I think we both had a, a like medium to to bigger body. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's the whole process of actually finding those flavors. So specialty roasters single origin roasters when they are processing their coffees this is what they do for every coffee they receive this is how they find those flavors this is how they label you know find the flavors to label on the bags so they can sell them uh, out to people right Uh, so this is this is how they find these descriptors The last major thing that we want to talk about, and of course I'm going to bring this up like I do almost every episode, is third wave coffee roasters. You know, I thought I was so clever bringing up the first wave in this episode. Yes, I, was I like, saw those notes and I was throwback. like, oh, thank you for, <laughs> for starting that off. So I know I've talked about this before. I know I've talked too much about this before, but that's where we are. So we're going to be talking about it. A lot. Uh, But I really want to give you a brief overview about why it happened, why Third Wave happened, uh, because it's directly tied to coffee origin and flavor profiles. So the Third Wave coffee evolved from a really niche community in the 1980s with a major focus on the coffee beans. Uh, So again, in the 80s, this was a time of Starbucks kind of on the rise with um, specialty coffee drinks espresso drinks you know flavored espresso drinks these kind of things on the rise so it wasn't so much about the actual coffee bean flavors you know coffee was just like something you got at a diner or made at a home on the drip or got at a starbucks on drip you know it wasn't anything special it's just coffee right sure in and out kind of a thing um so what they focused on is it was pretty much just a few roasters and cafes that were experimenting with lighter roasts from more exotic and well-grown coffees, right? Like specifically, they sought out just well-produced coffees uh, in the world and wanted to just give them kind of a better, you know, go at being a really good cup of coffee instead of just roasting into the dark side and, and yeah. calling it good. Sure. So in 1982, uh, the Specialty Coffee Association of America was founded, which Wesley talked about earlier, um, giving a platform to this new style of roasting and brewing. So they really 
made it possible for more coffee shops and roasters to develop their roasting and brewing processes and eventually commercialize them for home use just as much as in restaurant use or in coffee shop use. And consequently, at the same time, this trend was also becoming relevant all over the world. So especially in places like Canada, Australia, and Scandinavia, so in these in the 90s, this was starting to be to build speed, essentially, uh, in countries over the world, but especially the US, Canada, Australia, and the Scandinavian countries, primarily Sweden and Norway, a little bit Finland, a little bit uh, Iceland, uh, Denmark, places like that, but especially Sweden and Norway. Um, so the trend of lighter roasts from better tasting and better grown beans continued and in 1999 the term third wave of coffee was actually coined uh, consumers had begun to realize that there were more flavors to brewed drip and pour over coffee than just you know coffee right essentially coffee beans and coffee as a beverage were was entering a re renaissance right there was kind of the you know comeback uh from being this big blowout specialty espresso drink thing and flavored coffees in the coffee aisle to just to focus on the bean itself. And nowadays, the term third wave has kind of fallen out of favor, uh, and most shops prefer the term specialty coffee, um, which I understand. Uh, but regardless, this method of roasting, brewing, and in a way presenting is still a sub-industry in the coffee culture. So this is not mainstream by any means. It's still kind of like a sub-community sure. of the coffee industry. Um, as in, if you pick a coffee shop at random, it won't necessarily be a specialty coffee shop, right? Like, I can think of probably 10 in Chicago right off the bat, and not all of them are specialty coffee. Some yeah. of them are. Some of them are kind of, and some of them are not at all, mm -hmm. right? So you'll really have to concentrate on what they offer on the menu. That's kind of the pivotal thing. If you see options like pour-overs, Chemex, and traditional espresso drinks like cappuccino, cortado, flat white, uh, then you are most likely at a specialty coffee shop. Or if they use only or mostly single-origin roasts for their drip coffee, then they're likely a specialty coffee shop. So it's a hard thing to specifically label or say, like, yes, that one is but you know it when you see it. Sure. Right? Like the three that I'm thinking of off the top of my head in our neighborhood, um, Aromo on the specialty end, mm -hmm. the perfect cup, not so much on the specialty end. They're just kind of a classic coffee shop. They have yeah. some specialties, but they're not on that end. And then Groundswell is also probably a specialty coffee company. Sure. Yeah, so, I would say so. Right? So it's kind of one of those things where you look at the menu and you just kind of go like, yep, you're, See, you're one of those. And I am more of the perfect cup kind of guy where you can go and you can get a basic cappuccino, a basic espresso, a basic mocha, you know, that kind of a thing. I appreciate specialty coffee and what it is when you get the really like new innovative drinks that are coffee based but for me, I don't know. I'm an old man, so I like the old school type coffee shop. Yeah, so. and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's just like this is just a specific kind of dive into. Yeah, you know, it's just a, a sub. You know, it's a sub genre yeah, of, of coffee roasting. But at this point, specialty coffee has their own trade shows, uh, worldwide competitions, and specific business and processing values like set up kind of in their guidelines. So the whole mantra is that they like coffee for the beans themselves. That's really kind of the baseline of it. And it's not just regular coffee. 
it includes espresso drinks as well. So it's all about the pure and simple, the flavors you get without adding anything else. It's so, the back to basics. Right. So for yeah. espresso drinks, it's espresso and the milk, just right. milk in its purest form mm-hmm. being steamed uh, to go in the coffee. It's it's the most like simple and natural of additives mm-hmm. to like bring out all of the different parts. Because exactly. like all I think of still to this day is the espresso drinks we had when we were in Europe, which were just such a great above. And it was, I think, you know, it's honestly because of their dairy, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, just realizing coffee could have a flavor without coffee mate, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And the other major concentration for specialty coffee is on the origin of the bean. When this all started in the 1980s, most people didn't realize that coffee had different flavor profiles including the roasters like they're just roasting the coffee to get it roasted uh they simply just thought a cup was strong or weak thin or thick light or heavy right there weren't like these flavor profile descriptors uh flavors like jasmine and oats and stone fruit or cocoa nibs were not part of the descriptive descriptive repertoire uh for these roasters and a lot of that had to do with the blending of the beans uh most coffee producers at the time were just batch roasting their coffees no matter where they got them from uh they might say things like only the finest beans from colombia yeah but that uh... just meant they were buying beans from farmers all across the country and only allowing the best beans to make it through the roasting process right so it was a hodgepodge of different areas farm soils growing processes drying processes harvesting like everything these might not even be the same they might all be robusta but they might not be the same type of robusta right right so it's just an absolute hodgepodge but it's all from colombia they're the finest beans from all of colombia yes right <laughs> so it's like i mean colombia like even though it has borders like nature doesn't have borders right so sure. you can't actually define nature by human lines in the ground yeah so Thus, the single origin comes into play. Roasters in the 1980s discovered that in order to get better flavor profiles from their coffee, they needed it all to come from the same farm or the same yield. In theory, fruit from the same tree will taste the same. So the coffee as a collective whole of these dried and roasted berries should yield a more specific and natural taste. And out of this revelation, the development of farmer to roaster relationships blossomed. This allowed small-time farmers the ability to sell large amounts of the crops to single buyers. Uh, This gave them the capital to invest in their production methods, and it also helped held them to higher uh, standards, especially higher environmental standards. Yeah, right. With the rise of, you know, environmental uh, farming, um, more sustainable and equitable farming. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the other big part of it is the equitable, you know, people actually getting paid what they're yeah. you know what fair they're working trade, for all fair that. all that kind of fair trade stuff is because you were going back to the individual farmer mm-hmm. uh, in these you know small little like essentially coffee plantations as opposed to going to these huge uh cash crop farming uh subsidies you were able to interact more directly with the people who are actually working at these places yeah. which means they could get paid more fairly um they can earn a better wage for their labor which means they can spend more money investing in things that are better for their crops and better for the planet as well so it's all a cyclical thing yeah 
So the third wave of coffee really gave way to uh, three important things. Better coffee quality, both in production and taste. Better farm-to-consumer relationships, or farmer-to-roaster relationships, um, and timetables as well. It's just a faster process because there's Mm -hmm. no, you know, buyers and middlemen. It's just literally, like, I'm sure some of the... uh, roasters at Bridgeport or the founders of Bridgeport Coffee probably traveled to some of these places to taste the coffee on site to meet their growers, you know, talk with them, ask them about what they're doing before they even decided to bring their coffee on board, right? So a it's much possible. Yeah, yeah, so it's a much uh, you know, shorter uh timetable and a much shorter uh communication method. Um, and lastly is just a wider range of flavor profiles. That's really kind of yeah. what they brought to the table is just making us all realize that coffee had flavors. So that's really what third wave or specialty coffee roasters has really kind of given us in the last three decades now. Sure. In uh, terms of just opening the world up to mm-hmm. having a complete, you know, a complete chart literally of different flavors that will associate with the cup of coffee we're trying, which you know, I'm sure 50, 60 years ago, no one would have thought that you could break coffee down that way. Yeah. Maybe just the connoisseurs. And it's kind of crazy to think about how recent this has all been. I mean, yeah. this was like the 80s or mid 80s when this started happening and really didn't start to take off till the 90s. This is like three, four-ish decades. And even then, I mean, I would say even then, the third wave of coffee or specialty coffee movement rather Mm -hmm. that has really only taken hold in america i would say i'd say even in the past decade like when we've moved away from having everything made for us and going back to the single origin and honestly i think like we said in the last episode few episodes starbucks is leading a charge there now Mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of companies that realize that having something like coffee as their sell point you can't exhaust a system so you don't have it anymore. It's a natural resource you have to have. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of work to be done. And I think a lot of companies, big and small, realize that to keep the industry going, they have to be giving back to the environment in some capacity. Absolutely. They, you know, they have to be a part of the fair trade movement, all that. Yeah. And this this specialty coffee thing, like like Wesley said, it's really... America has really only been developing it like in coffee shops for the, for public consumers, you know, for the general public, I should say it really in the last decade or so, but, and we were one of the first, um, I know other countries were doing this as well, but America Mm -hmm. really kind of like pushed it forward. Well, we're a much larger consumer of coffee too. Yeah. So that kind of helped, you know, we, we consume it more. So of course we're going to experiment with it more. Um, and then it started to trickle into places like Canada, Scandinavia, Austria, or sorry, Australia, um, which we will absolutely cover those places when we have episodes just about those countries and how they consume coffee. Um, but even when we were in uh, Berlin, I know Wesley has referenced this, this trip several times and seeing, it in berlin was really incredible because they are in like the peak of it right now or at least they they were when Mm -hmm. we were there uh several years back um so we we're kind of on the we've i don't want to say we've plateaued like in a bad way but we've kind of hit our peak and we've kind of realized what it is and we've created a model based off of that whereas berlin and probably germany on the whole is really kind of like just gotten there sure uh so it was really exciting to see them 
be so excited about it and see well, and- be so kind of like you know, pushing it as a, as a new way of drinking coffee in Berlin. Not only that, but just the quality of ingredients they have at their disposal really makes that difference. I think. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, that has been all about coffee flavor, the flavors of coffee, how Mm -hmm. it's derived, how it's found, how it's created, how it's developed in coffee. We're obviously going to talk more about the different flavors of coffee when we talk about you know, regions that grow more coffee. When we talk about specific kinds of coffee more on this show, mm-hmm. you know, we did, I didn't want to spend the whole time saying like, when you go over to this part of the world, this is what to expect the in coffee Mexico, to taste like. They taste chocolatey in Ethiopia. They taste like a mountain yeah, flower. Yeah, like, no, no, it's like, no. So we <laughs> want to cover more in depth when we cover those areas specifically in their coffee culture. Absolutely. But before we finish today, we have to do a couple of housekeeping things. Wesley, do you have a fun fact for I this episode? I do have a fun fact, and it's that coffee has more flavonoids than wine. So a flavonoid is an antioxidant agent, and red wine has a lot of these antioxidants, but coffee and dark chocolate, I guess, also has more than a regular serving of well, wine. Well, la di da I think we always knew, though, that coffee had antioxidants in it, and quite a few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always studies saying, like, it's good for you, it's bad for you. I I feel like every day on Google, there's a new one Mm -hmm. that's like, oh, it's terrible, oh, it's great for you, but it's... I think as we covered in the caffeine episode, it's fine in moderation. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of a thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that's interesting. There's more antioxidants than wine. Well, in like a specific serving size, yeah. it's not like on the whole, on like, the whole. Yeah, yeah. you know, if you drink a whole bottle of wine and one cup of coffee, you're probably getting more flavonoids <laughs> from the <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> and before we go, Richard is going to pick a new episode for next week. Don't break my mug. And what is our next episode, Richard? Milk. Milk. We're going to do an episode all about milk. Not talk about coffee at all. (laughs) Just milk. No, it'll be about like what milk does to coffee, how it brings, what it does, what it's it's there for. Yeah, All the things. (laughs) I'm excited for this episode because we've been kind of hinting at it for like probably since the second or third episode, honestly. Yeah, it's been on our list since we started conceptualizing. Big factor in how people who drink coffee daily. Definitely. So it'll be interesting to delve into the science behind why it changes the flavor of coffee, mm-hmm. what, how it changes the flavor of coffee, and why it goes so hand-in-hand hand with it. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Coffee's On. We will see you in the next one where we talk about milk. <laughs> Thank you.